Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 71 of this Ocean Life podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Today's episode, we speak with Jenea Kelly, a woman of the water who spends her days supporting ocean protection, volunteering to help those less fortunate, and pursuing her own passion for being in the water. Jenea takes us through her work with the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation to raise awareness and support for ocean protection along the beautiful coast of California. We hear of the dynamics behind supporting a designated marine sanctuary that's over 5,000 square miles and the coordination role that Jenea plays. Jenea shares her stories of surfing in the water of Santa Cruz, stand-up paddleboarding with whales, and volunteering her time with Ride-A-Wave a program that gets disabled children into the surf and volunteering with Operation Surf, a similar program that gets disabled veterans in the water and love in the ocean. So thanks for being here and supporting the podcast. If you like what you hear today, please give a good rating in your uh, podcast app or even better, cut out single-use plastics out of your life completely for a week and we'll keep them out of the ocean together. All right, with that, let's get into the ocean life of Jenea Kelly. Jenea, welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for hosting me at your office overlooking the Santa Cruz Yacht Harbor. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? I, there's no place I'd rather be. No, this is an awesome I'm place pretty to work. jealous to see the office you have. Mm. Uh, you must get distracted just staring out, <laughs> mesmerized by the beauty out here versus doing your work sometimes. Yeah. Not, not distracted, inspired, <laughs> right? This there is what I do. Yeah, yeah. This is why I love being here and why yeah. I do what I do. It's a fitting spot because where we're at, where your office is, it's on the Yacht Harbor connected to Monterey Bay, which is part of something larger, Monterey Bay National Sanctuary. You're a key part of that. So start by describing what a sanctuary is and the role you play with the National Marine Sanctuary Foundation and all of that. Ah, that's a great question. And that's part of what I do. I'm the new director of the chapter of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary Foundation. And so what I'm charged with doing is creating awareness and support about what is a sanctuary, why is it important to us, and then raising funds for the programs that we put on in, in the sanctuary. Um, and most people don't know, right? Everybody that lives in this area lives here for a reason, right? Yep. Because we love this, this coast, the ocean, we're connected to it, but very few people understand that it's a sanctuary and what that means. Yep. And so a sanctuary has this federal protection and it's very similar to the protections like the state or the federal parks of Yosemite, of Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. of Yellowstone. And we have that right here in our backyard or our front yard. But the reason it's less visible is that it's underwater, right? <laughs> yeah, for and one. So what, yeah, right? <laughs> and people also don't understand how big it is. Yeah. It's It stretches all the way from Marin County, just above San Francisco, down to Big Sur to Cambria. Yeah. So it's, it's I think, the second or third largest uh, sanctuary, marine sanctuary in the continental U.S. Uh, it stretches out about 200 miles. And part of the reason we got that designation stems back to, I think, 1972 when we were threatened with oil derricks out yeah. off our coast, yep. right? So they were exploring to do some oil drilling. And if you've been to Santa Barbara, you know what that would be like, what it looks like. I actually went to college at UC Santa Barbara mm, yeah. with probably 70% of everybody I know. It's funny. There are yeah. a lot of gauchos out yeah, there. Yeah. But there were those oil derricks off of our co yep. coast. 
And I often tell the story of when I lived in the dorms for my first year, and before you could walk into the dorms, the school had this bucket, some rags, and some paint thinner, or turpentine, at the door. Yeah, and yeah. we were instructed to use those to get the blobs of tar off the bottom of our feet before we were supposed to go into the dorm or we would stick that tar yeah. into the carpet. So it was that prevalent back then, the older uh, oil drilling technology, there was just globs? You know, more. people say, oh, it's natural seepage, but it's, you know, if you're just intuiting what makes sense, yeah. it certainly makes sense that right. some may have been from the seepage, natural seepage, but you certainly would guess that some have yeah. come from these colossal machines right. that are digging holes a in the ground. A few miles offshore, yeah. Right, right, just a few miles. And so, no joke, you would walk along the beach and pick up blobs of yeah. this gooey tar, you know, oil tar that would stick to everything. Yeah. You'd get it's it gross. on your clothes, on your feet. Um, and so the thought of that happening here, you know, in Santa Cruz is just heartbreaking uh, at the thought. And so in 1972, the community gathered together um, and banned against the oil mm -hmm. drilling. They were successful in keeping it out at that time. Save Our Shores came to be one of our local nonprofits in the area. And some of our heroes um, that I'll talk about in a moment were instrumental in keeping the oil derricks out. Yep. Um, and then that was good, but it wasn't a, a permanent protection, right? And so we're always kind of facing that threat and yeah. other threats to this area for exploration, for minerals, um, for fishing, for all kinds of stuff. So in 1992, um, led kind of by Secretary Leon Panetta, Sam Farr, uh, Fred Keeley, Dan Hafley, they were able to get this, along with the community support, get this federal designated sanctuary protection yeah. that bans any kind of oil drilling um, in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So now it has this kind of permanent protection. And, you know, one of the things I love is this concept of people looking out at our view and loving it and appreciating it and recognizing that it's not that way by accident. Yeah, that's right. right. It's that way because we have this yeah. protection in place. Um, and so now fast forward, you know, to just last year, um, we decided to create this foundation to support the programs, to support awareness for the sanctuary. Um, and to raise funds for its programs. We are part of a national foundation, so my bosses are actually in Washington, D.C., um, and I work at the behest of the sanctuary and its staff and its programs, and then I also answer to our local board of directors, which is really exciting because there you have, I'll list these superstars. We have Secretary Leon Panetta, that I got a call from his office this morning. It comes in as just 831 because it's a yeah, block number. Oh. So every time I see it, it's a restricted block yeah. number. So when I see 831, <laughs> my heart goes through my, you know, into my chest. Yeah. And I um, wonder, is it actually the secretary calling or his office? And Should it I pick it up or any? not? Should oh, I go to God, voicemail? I, no, I definitely need to pick it up. I mean, I pick that call up and all yeah. time, no matter where I am. And I won't even tell you some of the places I've been when I've <laughs> answered his call because he doesn't want to know either. Um, anyway, so we have Secretary Leon Panetta, Sam Farr, Fred Keeley, Ted Balistrieri, who owns Cannery Row mm -hmm. Company in, in Monterey. Um, 
Hillary Bryant, who is our former mayor of Santa Cruz. Um, Fred Keeley, as I mentioned, was our, our state assemblyman, our county treasurer. He's been very involved in politics. Sam Farr is one of our U.S. congressmen. Um, and I think people probably world around the world know who Secretary Leon Panetta is, and, and he was the head of the CIA, the, yeah. the Secretary of Defense, um, and he's from our area. And then, uh, let's see, I also, did I forget, uh, Nova Covington's on our board. I think that's everybody. Yeah. Um, so a lot of effort and people and power involved in it. Yeah. You know, it's since since back in the day, it's a neat story, too. Uh, when I spent some time working for the net, net, the Monterey Bay Sanctuary, which you are, but mm -hmm. with the feds. Mm -hmm. The stories behind the grassroots organization yeah. back in the day that band together to get this done, it's cool. Yeah. To provide a little context too, like a visual, like you mentioned the National Park. You can, mm -hmm. people know, or a park, it has a, a rough, a boundary that you can pretty much see a lot. There's either right. a fence or you just know, where the, and there's an entrance, entrances and exits, but this is right. different. It's still, there's a bounded area in the ocean with the mm -hmm. coast on one side, mm -hmm. but there's no like welcome here. There's no welcome sign because yeah. it's coastline, right? Right. So it's very, it's 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 a different perspective on the, a stretch of the ocean, but it's yeah. gigantic, as you said, yeah. it's cool. And also, so talk about this in relation to the larger network of National Marine Sanctuaries, because what's interesting is people kind of hear about zones of the ocean being set aside, fishing restrictions, whatever that is. And this is our version of it here in the States. And so the larger picture, I mean, is it 15, 12, how many different sanctuaries are there in the US and Hawaiian Islands? I'm just guessing, I mean, ballpark it. It's a dozen-ish, I believe. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, which is cool that we're actually putting so much area aside. Now, how about today though, in today's climate with depending who you are, the strange stuff happening with our government and the administration. Yeah, yeah. What challenges do you see? Just because we have this designation doesn't mean that somebody right. isn't going to try to undermine it, cut it, destroy it, and throw oil rigs out there or do something. So Correct. what kind of challenges are you guys seeing yeah. locally here from what the administration's policies around environmental yeah. stuff? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, Let's see how do we word this, but certainly there was, there's always a threat, um, and the current administration at one point there was some discussion about exploring, and and lessening protections in some regard to start the the conversation around exploring for oil, right? Much like kind of looking at coal, resurrecting this kind yep. of old technology, this old search for oil. Um, so there was that threat, and it became a rallying point for a little bit. We also just picked up the Davidson Seamount, which is yeah. another right big, like a mini volcano out there underwater, and that potentially we could th be threatened to lose that, mm. and we don't want to lose any ground. If anything, we want to gain it. Um, and so, you know, at this point, we're cruising, we're okay, but we are on alert, you know, for any signs of any weakening of any of these protections. Yeah, and yeah. so we want to make sure, and that's part of what, you know, all of these entities, I think, and these nonprofits and these community-based groups are, we want to remain strong, vibrant, alert, and at the ready, you know, for any threats that come, which is why, I mean, you look at the green belts on either side of Santa Cruz, you look at the sanctuary out in front of us, this community, you know, this kind yeah. of no growth, slow growth 
is serious about its natural resources and we want to protect them. And I think if you look at Southern California and some of what's happened, you know, how almost every inch of the beach has been developed and and is hard to access and is then you're faced with, you know, overcrowding and the pollution that comes with it and all of it. And we have been so lucky in our area in Santa Cruz County, Monterey County, and the sanctuary actually expands five counties. So uh, San Benito, Mm -hmm. San Luis, Marin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Monterey. Monterey. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's massive. Yeah, and so it's it's hugely important to our community, and we are ready. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, have lots what, of support. One of the things I think that folks don't so much know unless you kind of drilled into what a sanctuary is and does. Like I think, at least for myself, we take for granted that because it's a federally um, funded and maintained entity, that there's money behind it. Yeah. Right. right. Which isn't really is true, mm-hmm. but not always at the level that you would want mm-hmm. as the people who are charged with protecting it and growing it and educating right. around it. There's the program, which you're doing. And so a big part of what you're doing is mm-hmm. you're digging into the community to, yeah. to basically raise funds to add right. additional programs, might be outreach, might be conservation or research or who knows what it is. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. I mean, day to day as the director of this program, Mm -hmm. how you go out and try to get money and grants and wherever those sources are, what are the sources and what do you put them towards today? What are the big initiatives you're trying to to fund? Yeah, great question. And actually that that reminds me that I mentioned we are a chapter, local chapter of the National Foundation. And what makes that kind of unique and lends us some weight is we do have access and the connection to Washington DC and our federal programming. And so one of the campaigns we kind of ran not long ago was lobbying, not lobbying, but um, asking the appropriations committee to make sure they designated enough funding for the Office of National Marine Sanctuaries, right? right? So we were, yeah, writing and, and, um, you know, helping our our counterparts in Washington, D.C. make sure we have enough funding. Yeah, just keep the lights on. Exactly, exactly. So so there is federal funding that supports the programs of the sanctuary. Our superintendent is Paul Michelle, and he's, you know, charged with running all kinds of programs, issuing permits, um, advocating. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a staff of, I think, between I think about 12 full-time employees and another maybe 10 that are contract or part-time. And so for us as a chapter, the ways we typically raise funds is I'm looking for foundation grants. Right now I don't have any federal grants or government grants, but local, independent, private um, grants from businesses or foundations, um, putting on events, courting major donors that want to that care and we ha- luckily have a fair amount of those people in this community that do really care about this um, this issue in a, our sanctuary and know it's an investment in yeah. their community and frankly That's in right. their businesses. Yep. Yep. So we Good have point. someone like Ted Balistrieri who own, owns the Cannery Row Company. So he has all these restaurants and businesses that are lying in Cannery Row in Monterey overlooking the Monterey Bay and the sanctuary. And he gets it. He gets it. He says the number, I love, he has a bunch of great quotes. Um, And one of them is, the number one tourist attraction is the ocean. Yeah. 
dead on. Right? Yeah. And so he gets it. A clean, healthy, vibrant yep. ocean is going to speak to tourism, to its residents. It's going to keep property values and businesses flush. Um, you have overcrowded, you know, trashed beaches. Yeah. No one wants People to go be a part up. of that. Yep. Um, so luckily we do have the support of businesses, of individuals. Um, we uh, solicit for regular donations that come in from businesses and, and individuals. We throw events that broadcast to a broader community. So for example, on we're going to have our first ever inaugural event September 22nd that we're calling the Sanctuary Sea Stars Brunch. Cool. So it's on a Sunday, we're gonna do a brunch and we're going to honor five different uh, stars in our community that have been given back to the sanctuary in research, business, I'm trying to think of the categories, um, con uh, resource protection, and then ultimately we have our overall award that will be called the Panetta Sea Star Award, yeah, cool. and so the secretary will be presenting that award. Um, and so we're in the midst of kind of putting that event together and, and yeah. creating its shape now. Right. But so we'll have cool. events. Um, what am I forgetting? Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. So day to day, I mean, you're 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 one important part of a larger picture, mm -hmm. doing basically helping to grow grow the programs that ultimately grow the awareness for our community to be involved when the time comes, and then just get people involved to help in the future. Yeah. yeah. So so that's was like that. That's kind of like a conservation protection kind of aspect of your life but there's also another one that you spend a lot of time on but w there's more to that though give me a little oh, bit more. oh i was just going to mention oh. we have another uh, kind of public awareness campaign that's coming up in august that's really so you know we talked about kind of conservation yeah. and fundraising and then here's this awareness campaign mm -hmm. uh, plus three programs but yeah. It's called, it's run through the month of August. It's a national campaign, but we'll make it localized for us. Um, August 2nd and through the 4th, that weekend is gonna be the culmination of this event. And it'll be called Get Into Your Sanctuary. Oh, cool, perfect. And so we already have kind of graphics and stickers mm -hmm. and they have a photo contest. They run nationally in three categories. I think it's recreation, um, landscape and uh, habitat or something like that and so you can submit your photos and if they're selected they go into this beautiful national magazine oh, that, cool. and on their national website for years um, it's a beautiful publication uh, and so we're already talking about how we're really going to push this and one of them I'm so excited I have a friend who is the art director at Salesforce and she's done work for me in my past um, and she agreed potentially to do kind of a PSA commercial for us. Oh, how cool. And my vision is that we'll have clips of various people saying, this is how I get into my sanctuary and then they'll jump on a surfboard into the water and somebody else, this is how I get into my sanctuary. Oh yeah, cool. Scuba dive yeah. and jump in the water. Um, this is how I get into it. Someone on the shores doing a yoga pose, you know, so it's get into it physically, mentally, spiritually, however it is that we connect to our sanctuary yeah, right on. and seeing all the different ways. Um, and then I'm sorry, you asked me about the programs. 
So I'm raising funds actually for three programs right now that our local board decided that this would be where we'd start. So we'll kind of focus because there's so many um, ways and, and different programs run through the sanctuary. We didn't want to get too broad. So our three programs right now um, are called, the first one's Baynet and the other one's Team Ocean. They're very similar. Baynet is we're working with volunteers in the community, training them to become naturalists for the area. Yeah. Right now we have them on Cannery Row in Monterey and in Pacific Grove. Mm -hmm. uh, they line the recreation trails and they have binoculars and vests. Yeah. And, right, they're greeting the public. They're talking about what is the sanctuary? Mm -hmm. Why is it important? What are you looking at? They're pointing out um, and instructing on the wildlife they see. And then there are other kind of important uh, job is to prevent wildlife disturbances. Yeah, right. So we're finding right. right the cell phone and the idea of the selfie, and yeah. there are people that are climbing over fences trying to get you know sel selfies, say with a seal and its baby yeah, pup. Right. And sometimes the seal mothers are abandoning their pups when they get too close, and then the pup will die. I mean, so it, so the the uh, naturalists are there to make sure people are viewing the wildlife from yeah, a safe distance. Right. Then the second one is Team Ocean, and it's the same thing, but it's putting people mm -hmm. on the water on kayaks, getting out there, same thing. And they're coming out of Elkhorn Slough and Moss Landing, right in the center of the sanctuary, and uh, making sure other boaters and kayakers and Santa Paddle Surfer, or Santa Paddlers are keeping a safe distance from yeah. otters and from whales. And I laugh because, man, I was one of those people yeah, you know, a like, couple years ago when let me all get these, close and check them out. The when all the whales were, were here. Feeding, yeah, that you was know, right off the cement ship yeah. and off of, out of Moss Landing. I was the one on a stand up paddle board paddling into the center of the bait ball and just trying to chase the whales. I had picked, I was standing with my 35 millimeter yeah. telephoto camera yeah. out there, you know, in yeah. my clothes. And, uh, you weren't the one on the boogie board, though, who was like right no, next to the like, like she big gaping exactly. mouth come up. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. But it could have been. I mean, there were literally yeah. times I oh, was yeah. grab. I went down to my hands and knees yeah. to grab the board, right. the size of the board, because I thought I was going to get knocked off by yeah. the whale. Yeah. You know, it came up that close. Yeah. That was a cool experience. We <sighs> had that for weeks here. It was like yeah. right off the Santa Cruz Wharf in like 20 feet of water for weeks, it felt like. I remember going out fishing yeah. one day, early one morning before it was even light out and being out there and hearing just the sounds is wanting to see him you're like oh that's amazing and then yeah. being i remember drifting out there fishing with the sound my boat off and just hearing like i don't know yeah. i think eight or ten whales and just what that sounded like and you it was just so yeah. cool you know oh my god and there was one off mitchell's coast yeah. did you see that yeah yeah A juvenile that right. was it's hanging out there. I mean, most people, so we had people lining West Cliff Drive, right? Yeah, the, I remember the, that. The cliff, watching this juvenile feed in yeah. Mitchell's Cove yeah. for, I think, a week yeah. straight. Yeah, you just live there. And people that were standing on the cliff's edge were as close to that whale as somebody yeah. in a whale watching yeah, boat miles insane. out at sea. Yeah, it was and so, so cool. that to me was mind boggling. And then you had people swimming or paddling out to get close to it, yeah. which you know, it's not advisable, but it yeah. was just, I mean, talk about feeling connected to your sanctuary and its inhabitants. Yeah, yeah from the shore, that's, yeah. that's so true, that was cool. And then that segues perfectly yep. into our third um, program, which is whale rescue. Right. So there are a lot, we're finding a lot and an, a substantial increase in the number of whale entanglements yeah. due to fishing lines, 
uh, buoys, crab pots, you know, they yep, get yep. The, the, they're swimming through our sanctuary and we don't know if they're getting entangled in our sanctuary right. or outside of it, but they swim through our sanctuary. And so we've got a whole network of a team that goes out to rescue them and yeah. they get reported. And so we're raising funds for training to you right. know, train these rescuers at the highest levels for boat time for equipment, telemetry poles that they can use to track where the whales are, because right, oftentimes someone will spot them. Yeah, tangled up. And then yeah. by the time they get the team together, they don't know where that whale ends yep. up. So you need to be able to tag it or put a, a beacon on it so that they can follow it if possible, because mm. sometimes it takes days yeah. to find them, to disentangle them. Um, they're never allowed to get in the water because it's very unsafe, yep. but they've got the equipment to, from from the boat to disentangle them. Um, and then ultimately we want to raise funds. Our kind of last priority is is for prevention. And so there's some new technology about these kind of ropeless crab pots. Um, there's some, now there's some limitations. The season's getting shortened a little bit. Yeah. So we're doing what we can to keep these whales from getting entangled in the first place. Because yeah. it's just heartbreaking. What do you, what are we seeing out here? Like in our area, I mean, dozens of whales a year, 10, 20, like do you have a, a gut um, call? The number has gone up substantially. Yeah. And I can't remember the exact number. Um, but it's it's a disturbing, yeah. you know, it had a dip, but now it's increased again this year. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's in the number of dozens. Yeah, yeah, darn. Yeah, it's one thing that I, it's not, when I was looking at the website and seeing the programs you're funding, and I remarked upon that one because when, again, back in mm -hmm. 10 years ago when I was involved with the sanctuary, that entanglement thing wasn't, a, wasn't like really on the radar. I remember right. there was some training that the local area was starting to adopt to help address a whale entanglement, but it wasn't like, hey, we're seeing so many of these, we gotta create the task force and, and get ready. But it sounds like net, maybe maybe it was an issue, we just didn't know about it, but it feels like now it's becoming more of an issue. Maybe because yeah. there's more people fishing for crab or maybe there's more more ways for the animals to be entangled because more right, people are on exactly. the water. I'm not sure. And so here's an, a number. It says the average number of whales entangled each year from 2000 to 2013 on the West Coast was less than 10. Yeah. In just a couple of years, this number has tripled. Wow. So huh. we know that, and we know that there are lots of whales that are entangled that aren't found or yeah. reported also. Yeah. Well, one of the neat things that kind of struck me just as we're chatting here is, <clears throat> What's so neat about and why what we're doing here locally is so important? Mm -hmm. There's many reasons, but one of those is it's a model for other places in the yeah, world, yeah. right? So a third world country, mm -hmm. pick you name it, that's beautiful and gorgeous water. Yeah. If they don't have a model to pattern mm -hmm. the protection of their resources against, like yeah. they might, yeah. they might want to, they might kind of do it, but yeah. with what we're doing here is it's an area of the water, great. Mm -hmm. It's programs to educate key you see that like they're educating their locals on what yeah. and why and they love it yeah. and then there's other things like the conservation aspect the whale entanglement aspect etc and so yeah. it's while it's a local focus mm -hmm. right the model is yeah. i think it's so important for just globally you know you know i totally agree joel and i think we mentioned this before i'm dead serious that i feel like santa cruz has the capacity to change the world yeah. in many ways just by what you said by setting the example yeah. um, by showing how it can be done anything from the sanctuary 
but you look at products and ideas and concepts that have come out from the wetsuit to organic farming yeah. to, you know, we have There's these lot, things, huh? yeah, this incubator true. of these really uh, revolutionary progressive ideas that then maybe get adopted by single-use plastic bags, yeah. you know, ban, get adopted by the state, and then California often is a yeah. you know model for the rest of the country and then the country for yeah. the world, Trickles you know? Down. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I love that concept yeah. and yeah. I, I buy into it wholeheartedly. Yeah, no, that's cool, that's very cool. And then you mentioned the third world thing and yeah. I think we talked about, I was in uh, Bali for the first time about two years ago, I think, and you know, I felt so conflicted while I was there because it was as exotic and beautiful and spiritual and yeah. soulful as I expected. You know, and I went for a surf trip and a yoga trip, um, and yet it was also so trashed yeah. and so overrun. Right. And there was plastic and garbage in every beach I went to, um, and you know, along the in the towns and you know inundated with tourists and high volume but it was so it was heartbreaking and you know inspiring yeah all at the same right time. you're like kind of conflicted yeah it was completely confl yeah. conflicted yeah and again you know even though we look at our community and we find garbage and especially around the high holidays you know july 4th it's still a huge problem and we have a lot of tourists a lot of people come from central valley and silicon valley over to our beaches um and even though most of our, you know, the community that live in California are fairly aware, mm -hmm. we still have a lot of tourists who just aren't as yep. aware, don't throw their it. cigarette butts, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere. They leave their plastic behind thinking, I don't know, someone will pick it up, right? And it doesn't get picked up. But anyway, my point was, even though we still face some of those problems, in comparison to many, many places around the world, we, it, you really recognize how far ahead we are and how... Yeah what a beautiful job in many ways we've done. There's still lots to go, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm proud of us yeah. in our community. I agree, and it's cool too, it's heartening to be in a new place and probably might not be this, maybe they're getting there, which mm -hmm. is uh, an area where they recognize the value, mm -hmm. the, the economic value yeah. of a clean ecosystem like we mentioned, Absolutely. right? Where like Balisteri said it, it's like Absolutely. that being blue and beautiful, translates into jobs and good economy and tourism the whole deal and one thing that was really cool was and it's popping up it's not everywhere mm -hmm. but I was went down um, just north of part of Arda mainland Mexico there's mm -hmm. um, it's called Punta, Punta de Mida a lot of people mm -hmm. go down there surf it's beautiful I went out there's little islands to go fish and dive it's called the Murrietas and mm -hmm. there's this really cool those funky rock formation you're like oh it's like take, go take your picture the kids are all stoked on it it's like hey can we just go pop in there he's like no nobody nobody can go on that mm -hmm. on Wednesdays or whatever it is and you need a permit it. Yeah. The point of it being is they're trying to keep it yeah. pristine and beautiful because when it is yep. and you can't fish around it, fish are going crazy. He's like, no, I won't, we won't fish here. And he was very adamant because he gets it yeah. and the local community gets it, yep. which is really cool. You know, it's really neat to see those popping yeah. up in different areas, you know. In fact, that you reminded me, that's another kind of campaign that we're incubating right now. And it's this idea, this concept of ecotourism. Yeah. And we want to be the ecotourism capital of the world. Yeah. Almost, you yep. know, and we want people to come to our, 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 our towns and engage in our economy because we have this yeah. treasure, you know, that is pristine and beautiful and spectacular. And, you know, we didn't even mention about why the Monterey Bay got this sanctuary designation and is so special and so unique. 
because they call it the Serengeti of the sea. We mm -hmm. have more biodiversity than you know uh, most places around the world. Um, it's 36 species of marine mammals, more than 180 species of seabirds and shorebirds, and at least 525 species of fish. Um, it's you know it's amazing this what we have going beneath the water but then also right we're we mentioned that we're spread across five counties adjacent to the sanctuary more than two million residents are spread across those counties and millions of tourists vi visit the region every year yeah you know it's considered a national treasure for how unique and abundant this biodiversity is um, and it's widespread community support you know so we're proud of it and and we welcome visitors from around the world yeah 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 <laughs> that's a good psa and it's dead yeah. on true after having grown up here and yeah. then seeing it i've heard that or saw when i first saw that serengeti of the sea you just mm -hmm. like you look out you're like it's just blue yeah, yeah there's yeah. some birds and maybe there's yeah. a dolphin but then once you're actually out there yeah. or if you're under it it's yeah. and it's it's crazy the the, yeah. the the diversity of the kelp forest the fish the birds all yeah. that stuff and then once you're out there like on a boat yeah. middle of the canyon you hear this gigantic like explosion of air and it's this huge blue whale going by and you, it's just, yeah. you know, it's really amazing. Well, and to go back to this, this talk about being in the middle of the Serengeti, so I'll sheepishly talk about that time. I paddled out on my paddleboard and I, I saw the birds, right? The seagulls, the pelicans, the, all these birds diving into this bait ball of sardine or krill or what, sardines, I mm -hmm. guess, under the water. And so I paddled right into the heart of it thinking, all right, this is where the whales are going to come because, you know, you, the seabirds are showing you where the bait is, yeah, for right? Because sure. they're following it and, and swarming around it. So now you know you have the bait underneath. And then at one point, the seals and sea lions were out there. I mean, there was probably 50 of them. Yeah. And they were in the middle of it doing right. their feeding. And they started coming at me and barking at me because <laughs> yeah. I was in the middle of it. No joke. I went, I kind of laughed at first. I went, yeah, yeah, right yeah. down. And then I started recognizing, oh, this they're getting aggressive. Yeah, and the big ones, the big <gasps> males, the big old heads. And they were with coming huge... and sparking at coming after me. So I yeah. turned around and started paddling out of there. And then I started to panic because they were chasing me. Yeah. And now they're growing in numbers. And I'm <laughs> trying to get out of there thinking, oh my gosh. You were not welcome. <laughs> yeah. And and yet and then the whales were in between there. Yeah. And so you know probably under there there were probably sharks around. So talk about biodiversity yeah. you know i was in oh, the yeah. heart of it below me above me at the surface yeah you know and, cool. it, and all of a sudden you recognize wow i am a yep. small part of this yeah that's right i have a little control i'm here <laughs> balanced on a surfboard yeah you know thinking all right i need to go out and watch it from the sidelines yeah that's this right is not, that's you know, right yep they're, they're about they family. escorted you out of there yeah <laughs> so now oh you're talking about your own sort of interaction with the ocean so here you are spending your days mm -hmm. trying to figure out ways to grow awareness and programs around mm -hmm. protection of this mm -hmm. area but then there's another aspect of after you leave work Mm -hmm. On the weekends, mm -hmm. you're in the water yourself. You've been yeah. surfing. You're talking about stand-up paddling. So give us a little idea yeah. of like day-to-day -day how you yourself personally yeah. interact with the water. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's true. I, well, let's see. If I back up, I actually grew up in San Jose and coming over to the Santa Cruz Beach. And the boardwalk, mm -hmm. right, was a big part of my childhood, its memories. And, um, you know, playing in that water until... 
you could until I couldn't feel my legs anymore because we didn't have wetsuits or whatever. Oh, yeah. We would be out there at Main Beach diving in the waves and you know for hours. And I I really I remember until I was so numb I kind of couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So I'd come in and warm <laughs> up in the sand and then go back and do yeah. it some more. And then I remember probably around high school going along Westcliff Drive to the lighthouse and watching the surfers at Steamers Lane, which in my opinion is one of the best surf spots on the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got world-class waves, but it also has this kind of cliff that overlooks the surfers and this kind of amphitheater effect almost. So it's just spectacular. And I remember watching it and I was a, uh, I was a gymnast for, you know, my, from 10 years old to 20. So I was indoors in a gym, yeah. you know, with chalk and, right. and artificial lights. But I remember watching these surfers and thinking, oh man, I, I could totally see myself doing that. But then I went on to college, actually at UC Santa Barbara, surf town, but I was still on the gymnastics yeah, team. You were and focused, I, yeah. And I became a springboard diver my last two years of college. Yeah. And that actually led into this other, um, this other profession. But um, but then I started. I went to grad school, and that was the first time uh, that surf became something because it was the first time I didn't have a. Uh, discipline organized sport that I was training for five to seven days a week and so I needed an outlet I needed some kind of physical outlet I was in law school at the time and it was a lot of sitting and studying and very stressful so I was living in San Diego at the time I was going to school at University of San Diego and um, ended up living close to Termaline which is a kind of longboard surf break Mm in Pacific Beach in San Diego and my boyfriend husband and now um, he was a surfer and so I think that's how it started I think he bought me a boogie board and I think <laughs> yeah. I went boogie boarding twice out in the water and yeah. I went forget like, this uh, I want to learn stand to surf up now? Yeah. yeah like I'm over that already <laughs> and so thankfully actually I don't know if you've heard of Tom Wegener yeah, yeah. He, he was on the podcast oh my god yeah he's a mega legend beyond legend uh, well he's just yeah. tom he and i were in the same law school class oh, together really? ah. and when you <laughs> go to law world. school you are all together in your freshman year you take all of your courses together um you know they don't mix so yeah. we were in the a section and tom was obviously a great surfer yeah and oh, there yeah. was just a handful of us that wanted i think i was the only girl and about five other guys wanted to learn how to surf and bless him is oh, great. Really? He's a pro, but he took us yeah. out and taught us how to surf oh, and helped us cool. get boards and all that stuff. And so I ended up, there were a couple, maybe two others where it, you know, I caught the bug yeah, and ended up surfing quickly. every single day, yeah. I think for the next 20 years or something. Um, and just every day would take an hour or two out of studying, walk with my board down nice. to um, Termaline, get a little surf in and yep. I could go back to studying. Um, and so, you know, and then, let's see, so that was San Diego, and then we were trying to decide where we were going to move when I was done with school, and Santa Cruz came up, and I remember thinking, I don't know, because I'd only been surfing, I think, two years at that point, um, three years, three years, whether I was going to keep going, because I thought, oh, Santa Cruz is yeah, cold, cold, and there's yeah. sharks, and I don't <laughs> know if I really met hooked. But turns out you just get a thicker wetsuit, right. right? And yeah. no different. And yeah. it turns out you can't resist surfing. Oh gosh! <laughs> and know? I think the first seven years I went to Pleasure Point every day. That was my kind of yeah. beginner intermediate spot. Uh, did that? I, 
for some reason, seven years sticks in my brain. And then we moved over to the west side. And so then I yeah. just had been at Middle Peak, the lane is my yep. happy place. And yeah. I've been there ever since and just love it. Yeah. How often I you looked at it this morning. Did you? Yeah. Drove past? Tide, tide was too high. Yeah. Maybe a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah. Have you been getting that, some of that sandbar at Cal's? Uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time at Cal's yeah. now, but when I have my kids. Yeah. And that sandbar Primo. shows up, yeah. what, every five, six years. Oh, yeah. And oh my gosh, pushing my, both of them. That's where the, and what was so cool about it, so wonderful, I mean, talk about get into your sanctuary, is I would be out at Cal's, you know, maybe chest deep in the water with the big foam boards with my four-year-old or my six-year-old or whatever on the board, pushing them into waves at the whitewater and everybody else out in the water were our family friends. Mm, we were yeah. all had preschool together yeah. with our kids and, you know, it was the Schmitz and the, um, you know, uh, the coffees and you know all of us were in these now pro surfers or legends yeah. we're all in this preschool the co-op oh, cool. together and so our kids were all the same age and I can't even remember all of them but we every, it was just such a feeling of community and family yeah. and we're all pushing each other the Bartlett's I remember pushing mm -hmm. my son Mason and Sayla on one of those foam boards, they were in it together, so they were tandeming, oh, and they yeah, were just cool. little kids. Yeah, and me pushing them in, and then them trying to stand up, and one would make it, and the other would fall, and then the other one would make it, and then they both stood up, and then you know one would pull the other off. It was hysterical. Yeah, fun know? stuff. And it was just yeah, oh, it was great. Yeah, it's one of those really special places. I know a lot. Not every town has them that has a surf yeah. town, but you have these like little family oriented spots like that where yeah. kids will look back when they're our age, think back to those magic summers or the magic sandbar Absolutely. winters. You know, even my kids already are like, you know, that one sandbar is a huge yeah. lagoon. And that was like 10 years ago. And yeah. it's already imprinted on their mind, you know. But no one like, thing that struck me um, or just popped at another moment of education potentially is. Uh -huh tying that a sandbar mm -hmm. back to a sanctuary mm -hmm. and protecting an environment it's like one of the big things with mm -hmm. what the sanctuary does is like coastal erosion coastal development and you think about like why people care about should yeah. you build on this cliff because yeah. it may impede like the natural sediment transport right mm -hmm. things should slough off sometimes and like all that coastal armoring and right. rocks and stuff one of the neat things about what the what the uh, sanctuary does or even a policy in general is it makes sure that the ocean needs to do what it does and mm -hmm. part of that is cliffs crumble sand gets put into the water and it ends up on our beaches on our sandbars you know so anyway i'm just tying like surfing yeah. that somebody i know i took sandbars for for granted forever like mm -hmm. the river mouth mm -hmm. and cows until i actually understood wow this is like nature if we put a thing. bunch of rocks in yeah. front of that cliff that cliff might not slough off and then make the sandbar. Mm. You know, there's this balance between like yeah. letting somebody's house fall in the water, but letting the coast do what it wants to do. Anyway, yeah. total total sidebar there. So now today, <laughs> um, like day to day, your your activities in the water, surfing, you're paddling, you're you're doing yoga, doing all kinds of stuff. But mm -hmm. spend a couple of minutes talking about what you're also doing in your copious amounts of free time, which is volunteering mm. for some of the local mm. um, foundations we have here that get yeah. people exposed to the ocean. So yeah. talk about the two, Ride a Wave yep. and Operation Surf. Yep. What are those? Those are just two of them. And gosh, I it, I realize now it's been 17 years that I've been volunteering for Ride a Wave. Wow because my newborn, I remember him being a baby, newly born when I was walking around the first time I was um, 
volunteering. And I think it was actually, I saw the Gearhearts do some kind of commercial about right away, which mm-hmm. piqued my interest. And so my whole family has been volunteering for Right Away. And what that organization does is we have a number, probably six or seven camps, we call them days on the beach, um, with various different groups, many of them from, most of them from over the hill, that are groups of children with various disabilities. The, the bulk of them tend to be, have, um, autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome. We also did camps for Jacob's Heart, which was kids going through cancer treatments. We at one point had a burn victim group. Um, We have an inner city group that just has never geographically been to the ocean before. Um, And so there's a number of them, probably seven or eight of them. And they're from about eight in the morning till about one, two in the afternoon. And we usually do one camp on Saturday, one on Sunday over the course of about three months. And it is the best surfing that I do um, by far. And I competed for a while and, and actually went to the women's longboard world championships in Costa oh, Rica. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I was mentioning it you know, I ended up making it through about four heats, which was as that's far as anyone sweet. in Santa Cruz yeah, made it. Yeah, that's good. Um, and yeah, that was, you know, and did some NSSA surfing as well. Um, but like I said, this this time that we spend on the beach with these kids, it's just, it breaks your heart with um, with love. And I mean, it's just to watch kids. I've had heard stories where these kids, particularly with autism, mm-hmm. and we get a lot that are nonverbal, but they just gravitate. There's something about the water that is so soothing and comforting. And in fact, sometimes you have to keep them from running into the yeah, water, yeah. you know, and we have life vests on them and helmets and they are all matched up with a beach buddy that is with them from the beginning till the end um, and, and walks them from event to event. Um, and it's also an opportunity for the parents to get a little break. So a lot of times they are 24 yeah, seven caregivers right, and they right. get to sit back and, and sit in the sun and enjoy the ocean yeah. and smile and watch their kid mm-hmm. in ecstasy or overcoming obstacles they never thought they yeah, could do. Yeah. You know, we have so many kids that are terrified initially and we have these really, really um, well trained and committed volunteers. We have maverick surfers that run the tandem surfing board. Yeah. We have cool. people doing boogie boarding. We have people doing kayaks. And so we know how to work with these kids and comfort them and, and push them just enough. Because usually once we get them into the water yeah. onto either a boogie board or a surfboard, we catch that first wave, the kid, but then we can't get them back right, in. Right, right. They don't want to come back out. Just, so I've heard stories where kids with autism that were nonverbal um, would say their first word. Yeah. It, I, like their first word would be boogie board or yep. something, you know, and the parents, we get notes from parents that just yeah, melt your yeah, heart. Yeah, it's transformative. About, yeah. Totally. So we end up, you know, uh, tandem surfing out at Cowles and we have Mike Gearhart, we have, you know, these legendary mm-hmm. Maverick surfer, beefy guys. Danny Cortazzo runs the whole thing. Um, Richard Schmidt sometimes involved. So they are tandem surfing on these huge boards. They help hold the kid and then stand them up. And then we even have a chair for one of the surfboards Mm -hmm. where the kids that can't lie flat can sit in a chair and surf. And then I'm usually an escort. So a surf escort where we're on these rescue boards alongside the tandem boards. 
and we catch the waves you know with the big tandem board we don't stand up we stay on our knees and we're very respectful but we're making sure the space is clear yeah. from all the other hundreds of surfers yeah. out at cows and then as soon as if if the tandem surfer falls or falls in the water and um, then we're there to help right or coordinate the yeah. board get the kid back up as soon as possible we start talking to the kid and saying yoo-hoo now you're a real right. surfer you know wipe out woo but most of the time the kid never even gets its hair wet right you know, it's right amazing. yeah yeah it is amazing so, it's amazing to see those guys uh, negotiate those gigantic yeah. boards with the ki- kids uh, in the chair etc and <laughs> it's Johnny, cool it's Johnny really cool to see Bolin is amazing yeah we just have these guys that are so good yeah um and so that's right away my I cannot say and it's 100% volunteers you know it's just it's amazing yeah, organization yeah. it's been going on forever and then Operation Surf is a similar thing but it's also a very different culture <laughs> oh my gosh where um, we have these recently wounded veterans many with missing limbs some with you know emotional um, mm-hmm. trauma and and disabilities even coming in and they are rehabilitating from these inju- these recent injuries and I love their their catchphrase is um, instead of making rehabilitation fun we make fun rehabilitation oh cool and so getting them out and similar uh, it's gonna make me cry yeah. so and it's a whole week um, and man the the veterans come in they're selected they're from around the country and Van Carraza and yeah. Amazing Surf Adventures puts on this Operation Surf programs. They have one here in Santa Cruz each summer or spring, one in San Luis Obispo, I think, and maybe another location. And then we have our locals of Brent Edwards mm-hmm. and, and Richard Schmidt are very involved. And um, you know, when they come in, there's fanfare and a welcome as they're coming in. Uh, people lining the streets and waving flags yeah, and all that kind of cool. stuff, which you don't, you wouldn't think of Santa Cruz yeah. um, so much, but it's about these individuals, right. and it's just, it's so compelling. And then there's this, uh, the opening ceremony, and we have, you know, the the mayor speaks or the county supervisor, and they have the co- the guard, the what's it called, the color guard, oh yeah, the marching guard, yeah, yeah, I don't um, know what you call with that, with the flags and the, about, yeah. you know, and they stand there at attention, yeah. and then the police chief speaks, and all the, we have all these local, um, you know, dignitaries speak and welcome them, hmm. and then again we have our local surf, the instructors are our local pros. We have Anthony Rufo is there every yeah. year, and we have Tajnik and and all you know all of our big. Um, pros are, are the instructors they're all assigned to one veteran mm. for the whole week and then again I usually wow. am one of the water safety helpers so yeah. I'm in the water with them surfing doing the same thing kind of bonding chatting making sure they're comfortable catching a wave with them um, helping the instructor and making sure they get back on their board sometimes we're our job is just to paddle them back out right so we're towing them back out because yeah. they get exhausted but I laugh because the culture is so crazy different. I'm so used to the kids yeah. where, you know. Safety's number one. Safety's yeah. number one, and we got vests, and we got helmets, right. and we're making sure they're happy and yeah. talking to them about school and what their favorite you know, yeah. toys are and blah, blah, all that stuff. And then I hang out with these vets, right. no safety gear, right. and the pros are like pushing them in, and they're swearing at each other. Yeah. Cry, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you can't talk like And just thinking, oh, it's a different world. And then the vets are just, you know they're so dang tough you can't get them out of the water and they're there all day long for a week and i'm like after paddling for four hours i'm please can we go in now you know and they're like no more 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 
And just this last one, I had um, Tina was my uh, my veteran that I was assigned to for the week, and I did about three or four days, I think, out of the week. And I was there for her first day, and she was nervous. And we went out in the water. Alana Hendrickson was her um, surf instructor, so we were a little unit. We went out, and she tried to catch a couple, but she started to have a panic attack, threw up in the water, wanted to go in. So we're like, okay. So we went in, and we hung out for about an hour, and we just started talking, and she was talking, and she started sharing some of her, you know, issues Mm. and struggles, you know, since she's been back emotionally, mentally, and um, it was some heavy stuff. Yeah. So then she felt ready to try it, give it another go. And we were just out at Cal's, great sandbar, waves not huge. But, you know, she fell and kind of took in some water again and was not feeling it and then started throwing up again. We had to go back in. So now we had lunch and we took took it easy and, and just did some more bonding. Then we went at, out out again after lunch and now she caught a couple and stood up mm. and kind of got it. Okay, then it was on. Really? Could not get her back out of the water. I went by the last day I saw her again, she was beaming. And I went one wow. of the days I wasn't working to check on her and I could, she they were out in the water and the people were telling me, oh yeah, you can't get her out of the water now. So I couldn't even see her that day. And then the last day, she was just beaming. And we were talking about when she, how she was gonna surf when she got back to New Jersey. She bought a wetsuit while she was here. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we were talking about her starting or joining a surf club. Yeah. New Jersey and then the emails and the stuff she posted on Facebook about how she's never had such a meaningful experience in her life and part of what it was was overcoming her you know this this challenge but also all of the love and support that she got from this community and being out in the water you know and and now she's surfing she's you know and that's become part of her passion that's so cool it's so like the a we as we there's so many different books blue mind is one of just the the physical yeah Yeah. part of people being in the water connected whether it's kids with autism or cystic fibrosis or somebody yeah. dealing with some heavy traumatic thing going on in their mind and then to, you layer on love yeah. from strangers yeah, helping yeah. you being patient yeah. with you you could tell yeah. I, I just imagine how what amazing therapy you yeah. know that would be and it was interesting when operation surf and right away were both here in santa cruz just a couple of weeks ago yeah. i remember i saw you we were doing the 24-hour paddle for cancer and mm. we had a myself and a couple of friends we had a, a one of our shifts was 10 p.m to midnight and we're leaving we had a room at the dream inn which is where a lot of the operation surf guys were staying right and I remember we were walking out in our wetsuits it's 10 o'clock at night right it's like beach is done there's mm-hmm. nothing and a couple of the guys are hanging out i think they were man at the bar had a couple mm-hmm. beers and they're outside smoking cigars i know they were the operation surf guys you could tell yeah. there was a couple of yeah. prosthetic limbs and yeah. you could just tell and yeah. usually when we pass by people staying at the hotel at night in wetsuits uh-huh. people look at us like we're yeah. freaking out of our mind yeah. these guys were like they were where are you going? Do you need, can we, they're like wanted to I'm come. Sure. They're, they're like, like, you're gonna go do something gnarly. Yeah, at night, it's <laughs> totally. gonna be sketchy and gnarly. Can we come? And they're like, what are you guys doing? What, what? They're yeah. like, they, it was such a different dynamic. that You no could tell doubt. they were so stoked yeah. on being there and yeah, the whole thing. Absolutely. And maybe these guys grew up in, who knows where, middle yeah. of nowhere, in yeah. middle of the country oh, where there is them. no ocean, you know? Yeah. So it was just such a neat yeah. to see them. So like, yeah, what are you guys doing? Oh yeah. man, like need some help or whatever. And I mean, I'm telling you, most of them when they get here are so withdrawn and oh, really? so 
overwhelmed and intimidated yeah. and they're carrying you know emotional baggage and to see them unfold oh man and you kind of you you hit on it when you mentioned blue mind because that is so jay nichols wallace j nichols a phd who wrote a book called blue mind you know brings up science the science behind what we all know to be true and about how there's the human beings have this connection to water and the science shows that physiologically yeah. you change when you are mm -hmm. in on or around bodies of water you know and the fact that we're all in front of this huge body of water a sanctuary no less you know we know it, it we're you and I are sitting here overlooking the harbor, yeah. smiling, going, ah, look yeah, where we right. are, right? <laughs> that's right. And so, you know, these these organizations have uh, not monetized, but they have uh, they programized. Yeah. You know, they've built yeah. programs around the fact that this water is healing. You know, you put a vet from the middle of the desert or the middle of the country into this body of water and yeah. it is healing. It's it is therapeutic. There's some kind of connection to nature to, you know, spirituality is the best yeah. way you can phrase it. Dead on. But it's real and I don't think there's a person out there that wouldn't acknowledge it because I think it's a human experience and it's, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, keeps me sane. I know, right? And <laughs> what, even just whatever like, that's worth. <laughs> I mean, you and I are in that water, yeah. but you think of anybody being along a cliff and watching a sunset over yeah. the water, and yeah. there isn't one person that doesn't stop and no, go. No, oh, just go. Huh? It's funny. You know? uh, it was a. Uh, totally random too but uh, the Warriors local basketball team are yeah. playing I'm not like a, a basketball fan but one of the guys was like this really good guy who's been in a slump and I just huh. my son just told me he's like huh. I, I go yeah he's been really bad and so he's like yeah so after this game he went and jumped in the ocean yeah and after that he just yeah. like he said he w I went and jumped in the ocean yeah. like what changed like I went and jumped in the water and then he came back and the next day he just lit it up so no anyway a lot of little things like that no happen question. all the time so Janae um, yes. lots of fun stuff what any big I know you're so busy doing a lot of these funding the programs. You mentioned a lot of cool things locally that you're putting on this year. But anything, other big goals, any other big trips or anything, big things you're looking at this year for yourself? <sighs> Just more of the same yeah, awesome things you're I doing. Mean, you know, I've got, so, I'm seven months in now to this position and it actually is my dream job. And, cool. you know, not only, um, recreationally have I been involved in the ocean and the sanctuary and, and we didn't mention that I actually live up in Davenport very close to the beach and yeah. my husband and now my son are avid kiteboarders, windsurfers, foil boarders, towing surfers. I mean, so our whole family, you know, has been involved in the ocean here and, and all over the world actually for, um, for years, decades. So we are uh, very entrenched in yeah. the culture that is our ocean. Um, and so, and then kind of marine conservation wove its way into my life where I was asked to be on the board of Save Our Shores, which I mentioned before is a, our local nonprofit that's very involved in keeping marine, marine debris plastics out of our um, ocean, out of our sanctuary now is its main focus. It was yeah. brought together initially to fight those oil derricks. But um, 
So I was on that board of directors for five years. I was their board chair for three of those years. I did a stint with Save the Waves. Um, then I did some other nonprofits, the Red Cross, Goodwill. So I've been very involved in nonprofit work um, and with an eye of wanting to get back into marine conservation. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to Paul Michelle, who's our superintendent of the sanctuary, for a couple of years about kind of whether this chapter might be a good way to go and you know luckily um they saw me as a good fit for it so like i said it's just been about six seven months now and i've got very um specific financial and strategic goals a whole bunch of them that i'm trying to hit nice and luckily uh, well i was gonna say i am i am absolutely immersed and a little bit overwhelmed with how many things now i have kind of back loaded <laughs> onto the end of this year but luckily every one of them are things that i love yeah you know, and i'm cool. excited and, and i was talking to you about you know in three weeks right now i'm trying to put a, together an event on west cliff during the memorial day longboard contest you know we figure maybe friday we'll do an event at this mm-hmm. house overlooking that surf spot and I have Ashley Lloyd, who's a pro surfer and a singer, maybe to come play music, and got this seafood guy that hopefully is going to do the food for us, and then Kim Stoner to open up the Lighthouse Museum for our group and do a you know private talk, and then one of our Baynet volunteers to do a walk along West Cliff Drive so they can our guests can do a sunset walk, look at the sanctuary, learn about it, why you know. So that's something I'm trying today to get put together for two and a half weeks. And um, we have another event coming up in September where I think I mentioned. Yeah, lots going on. And and I've got grants due. And so I don't have any big trips or anything. You're on on one big trip day to day doing what you're doing. Well, keep it up and appreciate all your effort going into basically protecting what we all love and cherish so much, you know. Um, And I'll put some links in the show notes to Mm, Monterey Bay Sanctuary Foundation. Other other links of of interest that you think people who want to learn more about what a sanctuary is, what you're doing, anything and everything we'll put it in there yeah. and then just want to thank you for sharing your time and stories with us oh, really inspirational and cool to get a perspective on being in it in it yeah. immersed in it right. but also around it and protecting it and yeah. helping to facilitate it so thank you so much for being on today oh my goodness my pleasure thank you for being here right on thanks right. okay good Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me uh, on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.